Welcome to the first episode of Bonsai Southeast. On this episode, I sat down with Nate Murray, a local Yamadori collector. He is from Franklinton, Louisiana, and he first got introduced to Bonsai basically by the nursery and me about about a year and a half ago, maybe two years now, and he has really, I mean, I, I could say that he's struck fire with Bonsai recently, so uh, I just sat down, talked to Nate, talked to him about how he's gotten into it and his experiences with going out and digging some of the bald cypresses that we have at our nursery, and if you haven't seen them, this is some really great stock that he's pulled up, and uh, little big trees, I would say he initially started out with some pretty big trees and I had to talk him down and get some smaller ones so that uh, they would be easier to work on. Uh, but this was a pretty fun little sit down and this will be a regular thing. We're going to have Nate on some episodes when we can get him and then we're going to have my, uh, my good buddy Mark over here. He's producing these episodes so make sure you guys give him some love, tell him how good these sound. He makes me sound a little bit more intelligent than I really am about bonsai and, and general things. And also, uh, this episode is brought to you by Underhill Bonsai, the Louisiana premier bonsai nursery, where we sell everything you could ever need for the hobby. We sell everything from bonsai supplies such as soil, fertilizer, bonsai pots, wire. We even have raffia in-house if you're feeling a little testy and you want to bend a big branch. Uh, as far as other things we have on our nursery stock, we have field-grown pieces, Yamadori pieces, and even some pre-bonsai and some pretty, pretty cool bonsai specimens. That if you're in the if you're in the area, come by and come get, give us a chat. Come check out our bonsai trees, and let's get on to the episode. I mean that's that's a that's a good thing to kind of get into, man. Is uh, is why why do you why do you get into bonsai? Like is because uh, basically, I mean, you started collecting bonsai what, what, like two years ago now. Well, not bonsai. You started collecting yamadori. Yeah, yamadori. This time last year. Um, I don't know. I I think a lot of the the adventure of not only getting in the water, but the um, you know how my eye for what I'm looking for has changed, you know, and improved. Um, you know, and my appreciation for really good trees that are uh, refined and really nice, and you know, trying to have that vision of collecting a tree that you can really, you know, build from, you know, um, base-wise, and and just what the tree uh, has to offer specifically from nature. Yeah, I mean, it sounds more like it sounds more like you're you're interested in, in the DIY, like starting from scratch. Oh yeah, um, and that that comes from, I mean, and honestly, that this comes from when you initially look into bonsai trees. This depending on where you live, like, is there a good source for high quality specimens, or is there a grower in the area and 
some some people have access to those type of trees, yeah. and so they can build their you know their specimen collection quicker. Whereas here in Louisiana, we uh, we have good sources and all, and we've had uh, good bonsai growers come and go in the past, and and so I mean. It's just a little bit of that. I mean, it's not saying we don't have a good resource. It's just those things tend to be a little bit more limited. And our bonsai community is a little older down here. Yeah. Um, it actually dates back to like the 70s and maybe even a little bit in the 60s. when uh, And John Naka was actually coming down here a lot mm-hmm. and hanging out with the clubs. I mean, we go back that far. But uh, another thing, too, is with I mentioned like DIY kind of thing is like I feel like that's kind of the essence of Louisiana in the South is yeah. like do-it-yourselfer type attitude down here. Well, my wife and I, Savannah, we, we've gotten some, you know, really, you know, established and older pieces, you know, from the nursery from you. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, there's, there's something to be said about doing things from jump, whether it be, you know, pottery you know the pots themselves whether it be pinch pots or doing things with you know Byron Myrick and and you know you having a kiln and you know doing those things uh, but the from the soil from the pot from the tree to actually working on the tree there's there's just something really gratifying about you know making the decisions you know outside of of, of what nature's done but making the decisions that really you know it's art you know, it's it's creating mm-hmm. not something from nothing, but something that that you can really put your your stamp on and say this is. You know, I've calculated, you know, drawn out what I what I want this tree to look like design wise, and you know that definitely opens you up for criticism. You know, mm-hmm. opens you up for well, why did you choose this? You know, um, you're very contemporary in, in your design of trees. Um, you know, and it opens again, opens you up for uh, for criticism. Yeah, I'm really I'm anticipating the criticism to come um, because. But that means com- you're doing something right. Yeah, coming in part with the showing a lot more stuff on social media, having worked at the nursery for about going on like two and a half, probably going on three years now, yeah. pr- pretty soon. Um, and I know I'm doing I'm doing some some of the some of the older I'm doing some of the old school ways because I love what. Like watching, rewatching older videos back, you know, came out early 2000s, even further back, like going back and looking at the Bonsai Today magazines and stuff and digging up the old books and trying to make those images. But then also it's like going in and thinking about the Louisiana flat top bald cypress stuff that I've been doing with the videos too. And that's always been a, that's always been like an uproar, like a, like a controversial kind of thing, which I, I mean... Like you said, it's, it is a contemporary thing. There's a lot of criticism to be had, um, but that's not why I'm doing this. And we talk, we're talking about the criticism and the, we, the reason why we do this. And I, I first and foremost believe in like the, the community of it mm-hmm. um, because, I mean, it's really a passing of hands, passing of knowledge type thing. I mean, you don't just – I mean, well, some people, some people just go out and then they decide they're going to start growing bonsai trees. But that knowing – all those technical rules or horticultural feats that yeah. you can do, you can jump through some loops to like really cut down your your years of development on trees just from all the other Japanese masters and the other European masters that have come along and really have really put a spin on it. 
Um, and then we've got some really good current American teachers and bonsai practitioners now that are getting to that mastery stage and giving us that next that next level. So I think it is going to be, and it will always be a community community thing for me. I would rather teach than, you know, I used to be all about like get more trees, you know. Right. <laughs> when I started out, like you were saying a second ago, I was like, man, like I would love to have pieces of art, gratifying pieces of art that I've created. Yeah. Um, and just the, the essence of it being alive is even better. And I have a heavy influence on the way it is functioning and its appearance and all. That's great. But initially it was about like, let's get these trees. And mm. now I've gotten to this point now, I've been doing it for roughly over you know a decade now. And I'm like, now I've got these trees and I'm less interested in that now. It's not saying that I've I've, I've lost my desire to create bonsai. I've, I've, I've regained this thing to, you know, start getting other people's hands in it. It's really right. what I want to do, you know? Well, are, are there trees? Are there pieces? What stands out to you with pieces that you keep for yourself? Because you've created, you know, it, it's a really busy time here at the nursery. You know, a mm. lot of Yamadori pieces, different species, you know, parsley, hawthorn, uh, you know, winged elm, obviously cypress. Mm -hmm. Um I mean, what for you stands out where you say, yeah, that's definitely a piece that I want to keep? Well, for for me, the, the the guy who's going in and having to work with these trees, and that, that's, that, that, well, that gives me a really good way to look at it, too, because uh, from your perspective, you're the guy that goes out and you're scouting the tree trees, getting the trees, yeah. and so you're bringing me all these choices in to look at. Um, and if I were to choose trees as you brought them in, I would definitely choose trees now that would be worth my time, honestly. Yeah. And not saying that like they're not worthy. It's just worth the time as, as in what qualities about this piece do I not have to like go and try really, really hard to develop or, or get that taper, that movement, the, the base, those you know, desired branching and all that kind of stuff. How hard is it? to tack on those type of things onto the given piece of stock. Um, so as far as an exceptional piece would go, it would have to have merit as far as how old. Uh, I'm not concerned about like actual old. Like yeah. if you were to chop the tree and count the rings, that would be cool. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not worried about necessarily the overall age, but the actual appearance of age yeah. on the effects of the environment around it. So that's something I really look for. If there's naturally occurring taper and stuff, like uh, me and Nate just shot a video moments ago where he had this beautifully tapered bald cypress that was done by beavers out in the wilderness and it was just understoried and naturally dwarfed. That's an exceptional piece. And I can take that tree and make a really nice little tree out of that in a matter of five years. You have something really cool. Um, so yeah. Uh, I have definitely pick and choose of trees that yeah. I would consider. Well, just with, I mean, trees are your, I mean, it's your job, you know, mm -hmm. much like, you know, we joke about athletes and sports. I mean, at some point, you know, you would hope that things continue to be fun and enjoyable and, and, and it, you stay motivated to continue to improve. But I guess going back to the question, like what trees stand out to you where you say, I want this? When I bring trees in, and there's been times, and you know this, there's been there's been trees that I've brought in where I'm like, Evan, this, 
I know what appeals to you. Like there are great trees that I've brought in that I know aren't going to appeal to you. Mm. But there's also trees where they are completely irregular. And it, it, to me, it boils down to you have an artistic taste and, and you have a vision where you see what you want to do down the road with a piece that not a lot of people would be willing to tackle. Yeah. And I mean, this, it sounds like it's boiling down to personal preference too. I mean, without a doubt. I have, I definitely have preference um, towards what I like to choose and work on. But like you said, this, this is my job. Uh, I chose to take, uh, I mean, a lot of people tell you not to do this, but take your passion and make it your job. But yeah. this doesn't feel like a job to me. Yeah. Uh, it feels, I mean, it definitely is a job. Uh, and it is a lot of work, but um, it feels more like a, it feels more like a labor of labor of love type of, like I'm doing this for the, the betterment of, you know, just overall of keeping bonsai here and keeping right. it active and and well and working with these trees and stuff but i mean like when it comes to the personal preference stuff and you're bringing in trees and you're like man you got to see this one yeah. and some of them yeah i mean you can go back and look at some of the archives of some of the images we've uploaded and some of the trees coming up for sale uh at the nursery it's like yeah man some of those are some of those are killer i mean well, debunking myths that certain size trees can't have knees or you know oh yeah. just and we'll have to do a whole separate thing on just talking about bald cypress and when you go to get those trees and you find and you find that uh, we found uh, knees growing what with and you found them I mean mostly knees growing within a few inches away from the trunk knees growing yeah. on the trunk literally off the trunk itself and then also uh, knees that seem like the tree like fused into a pre-existing knee that was next to it. Yeah. Um, and I think they develop in all kinds of different ways too. But, uh, but I mean, like as far as collecting goes, man, like, I mean, the, the, the weather recently has been just absolutely chaotic as far as going to find trees right now too. Well, what I found, uh, you know, there's collecting locations that, you know, whether it be tributaries of, of rivers or, mm -hmm. you know, right next to, you know, larger bodies of water with all the rain and obviously the cold weather that we've had, it definitely impacts being able to collect at those spots. But, um, you know, ponds, for me, you know, collecting, I find specifically cypress trees, the root mass when they're, you know, in standing water is much more dense versus, you know, being landlocked or, you know, being on land. Um, you know, so I, I kind of gravitate towards trying to find locations that, you know, whether they're ponds or whether they're, you know, inlets, you know, swampy, you know, type areas that, um, you know, but without a doubt, it's been, we're on the back end of, you know, collecting season, you know, 2021 and between the weather, temperature-wise, and, and rain, it definitely, I don't, you tell me, I mean, does it give us another week or two to collect, being the temperatures have been so low? And, um, and it's gonna be, so it, it's a little bit of a toss-up, really, because something that I look at when I go out to collect, especially if I'm collecting cypress, or if I'm collecting, um, hell, it, it's mostly, I think it's mostly bald cypress, but this, in this case, 
is that we have a variety of red maple down here called uh it's called swamp maple or acerum uh durundi and the drunums maple and they put out a flower or our seeding body it does have a flower attached to it and when i start seeing those it's very obvious have you noticed they have white yeah. flowers on and the branches are kind of red uh in red maple you know and uh that's usually the signal of like stop collecting or get ready to repot because mm. that's those are some of the earliest bud breaking trees in our natural environment here um and those trees are starting to show and we were talking about it a little while earlier today it was just like um, I've had some scares where you'll see that start happening and then we'll have this sudden just really late frost like not even like frost sometimes they're straight up just hard freezes and um, that's that's something that we witnessed here with the weather and it's it's affected other parts of the country obviously is that um, this weird winter storm passed through and we were riding it up pretty easy we had a pretty mild winter I only had to bring trees in one time uh tropicals of course were were kept in the greenhouse so the, the heat structure and by mild you mean under 30 yeah 27 even 30 degrees pushing temperatures down here and we're not florida we're we're sub we're subtropical but we're not florida and that in that respect is that we do have nights where you would think yeah like let's protect our trees but our temperate our trees that live here yeah. when it hits the when it hits like the 30s, it's fine. Um, when you get down to like 20, yeah. I mean, we had a night where it was like 28, mm -hmm. but there was no, there wasn't a super hard freeze because it didn't stick around for very long. It was 28 degrees at, at probably six or seven in the morning, and then the sun came up. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the past couple of nights with this Arctic storm that came across, I mean, dude, we had a we had a night in in in. Covington. I'm in Covington, Nates and uh, Franklinton. Uh, Covington, it was 14 degrees, right. which I mean, some even some of the people up in north northern regions are kind of they're gonna laugh when they hear this, but uh, I mean that's that's pretty down there for us. Right. Um, and for you over in Franklinton, what was the low on that night? You remember what night I'm talking about? Yeah, I think it was 11, maybe 12. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was so sustained, and the 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 temperature the next day, I don't believe it ever got you know, nothing ever thawed out. Mm -hmm. So, and it rained, it, it seems like it rained the previous day. Does that, and of course I put all my trees, I have a large enough shop that I can put them in there. But do you think the layer, as it rains, what do you think, uh, does it provide a layer of insulation for those roots for people who possibly weren't able to protect their plants? Yeah, and this is going to be, this is going to be for southeast range, and that's something that we're particularly going to talk about a lot with this with this cast. Is that um, what would be good winter protection if you got your bald cypresses, native elms, native maples, uh, hawthorns, and miscellaneous other deciduous? You know, uh, American hornbeams could be added to that list too. Um, when we hit these weird. Uh, weird nights where it does get really cold like that yeah you can do the method where you dig a little hole in the ground and kind of just just deep enough for the pot to slip into and insulate it throw some mulch over it and then when the the frost if you really want to be hardcore about it you can go out there and wake up it i mean that frost that really low 
freezing temperatures started early that night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you wanted to get do it right, you want to catch it right whenever that frost is starting to happen. Mm-hmm. And go out there and turn your watering system on or go out there and hand water over the top. And yeah, you will you will make like the igloo effect. Right. The, uh, the water mo- molecules that are underneath that igloo, of course, they'll never... With the right insulation, of course, with the ground being heat radiation coming up from the ground and hitting that layer of ice, then you'll never get up, you know, under 32 degrees. They'll be cold. You wouldn't do that on the bench. No, on the bench, uh, we, I talk about this with other students and other people that are getting into and learning about it, is that the trees are literally like floating in the air, basically, uh, because we've taken them and put them in a pot, put them into a soil that is very very aerobic and so oxygen's flip, like freely flowing through it into the tree i mean they're basically they're basically in a, in a ship in a floating right. like ship in the air and uh yeah when those when those temperatures drop i mean every single bit of that interior space of that soil where all those little tender roots are they're gonna get frozen and you're gonna get it's like capillaries bursting uh that's basically what's gonna happen you're gonna kill all your roots um there's been a publication recently in a uh, in, in a really good book, uh, Bonsai. I'm just going to say it, Bonsai Heresy by uh, by Hagedorn, talking about root kill temperature, and that was something I wasn't 100 percent aware about until I read his book, which is it was a saving grace to read that. It's like okay, there is a temperature in which roots can can hang out in, and then they will diminish and they will begin to die. So, well, he I, talks about 40 days under 40 degrees for dormancy of deciduous trees. So how does that play into colder temperatures that we've had? Consistent temperatures. So for like dormancy, um, they say that it is a period between, I think I've heard it's a couple of different numbers and it's not not an exact science because I think it's like anywhere from 38 days to 60 days, I think is that, is that, range and for louisiana it's like we get nights and what we're talking what nate's bringing up there is uh it's like temperatures under 40 usually are like sub temperatures for our range would be considered under 40 consistently for that number of days and the trees get that dormancy and we the best we get sometimes is 30 days um which is okay now that's whenever we get those long winters and it does get really nice and chilly and cold. Like I'm like yes, and I leave all my trees out, my my native trees, I leave them out, and I let them get that nice deep dormancy, let them sense that cold. Uh, of course, then the worry goes up from the tropicals, but right. and when we say tropicals, we mean we're just north enough. And I mean Nate's living, you're living um, about an hour north of Lake Pontchartrain. Yeah. And that's that. That's good. Per, good perspective. So, if you want to, uh, you can go look at the map of Louisiana and see where me and Nate are. We're we're right above Lake Pontchartrain, and I would say from New Orleans, that's that's a forty minute drive across the lake for, on the causeway. And the causeway is that big long bridge that you hear about um, down here, and I'm about the nursery is about. 20 minutes from there. Nate's about an hour and a half from there, you said, from being from the lake, right? Yeah, a little over an hour drive, um, you know, depending on... Oh, not an hour and a half. Okay. So, yeah, like, even that distance, and it's all coastal effect. Yeah. uh, Because 
people down in New Orleans don't have to worry about the frost at all. Really. Right. Um, what What have you seen with winters that we that have been more mild and you know local deciduous trees really weren't able to experience a, a true dormancy? Oh, it's definitely it's definitely an effect. That's what I was saying uh, with when we do get that cold winter. I'm like, this is going to be a good spring. Yeah. Um, and that's because those trees do need that dormancy to help reset them because that's just something that it's it's kind of like a common horticultural kind of thought about it is that if a tree a long-lived hardwood big tree never gets like a rest and it's constantly growing mm-hmm. constantly putting out resources constantly extending um it, it'll go it'll begin to kind of weaken over time and so and it's not like a, it's not a dormancy like we see some of the alpine species get. Mm-hmm. Some alpine species get six to seven months of dormancy, mm-hmm. and then they have like a short, very narrow grow season sometimes. And I mean, this is just from doing a little bit of research about other other places where they practice bonsai, and and my experiences with talking with uh, with Mike Lane down in Florida about how his trees never stop growing, and I'm just like, man. What would that be like? But then they're dealing with different species. That's right. Um, There's other, uh, you know, practitioners and professionals here in the States that really, uh, they have some beautiful, you know, beautiful pieces that they put out, you know, Rocky Mountain junipers and, you know, some other types of junipers. What's, why... Why here in South Louisiana, why would we not really experience, um, you know, a, a healthy growing juniper like that? I think the answer is obvious, but coming from you, why do you think it would be difficult to to really... Uh, to grow Rocky Mountain juniper here? Without a doubt. Um, I mean, because... And I don't, I'm not, that wasn't like a, it sounded kind of like a snarky laugh, but I'm not trying to come off like that at all. It's just like... As far as the range of Rocky Mountain junipers, I mean that—that's a species that needs like a consistent cold winter, mm-hmm. like down temperatures down, actually like freezing temperatures, and um, and I mean they normally get blanketed in snow right. in their natural range, and so there's some species that just need a much longer resting period or hibernation basically mm-hmm. um where and, it, and it's going to be all based off of how close we are to the the, the freaking equator man i mean <laughs> species that just naturally occur here that's yeah they have evolved and adapted to that and so the rocky mountain juniper i know it seems like a fleeting you're like it's a very romantic thought you're like man if only i could have those big right. twisted junipers with that really beautiful deadwood and but then also um, I'll turn off the blurring system in just a moment. Actually, it will pause it again. Okay, so uh, Rocky Mountain junipers, they, uh, it, yeah, it would be so awesome to have a few of those trees here. It's just, and then once you get over the feet of Maybe you have something like a cold house. Because I've heard some people do things like, um, like if they're really passionate about keeping certain species, they'll mm-hmm. re, re, uh, reenact those type of environments during uh, seasonal changes. So you'll have some people put them in like a freezer 
for a certain yeah. number of days to try to try to encourage them to have that dormancy. But then we have to combat combat with the, the humidity here, which just eats mm. old rotted wood and stuff like that up. Um, it's not easy to keep a tree with really beautiful dead wood that happened in its arid yeah. natural range, and it comes to Louisiana and just rots away, yeah. you know? So that's another thing, too. Um, you mentioned Mike Lane, down, you know, in, in southern part of Florida. Uh, are there any species, Evan, that you would say, man, I'm jealous that, you know, that, that I don't have that climate possibly, whether it be, you know, a, a tropical type, you know, Florida area. Um, but are there any species, I know Mike has, uh, has shown you and you've seen, you know, his sea hibiscus and talked about how vigorous of a grower uh, that species is. Are there any species that you're you're jealous that? <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Um, that that whole time that Mike was up here, it's weird to say up here because he literally uh, he was he was north of where he's normally at. Um, that he he brought to my attention a lot of the stuff that he's been working on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the sea hibiscus is one of them. Fortunately, um, I did get a cutting from 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 Dawn mm-hmm. uh, from Dawn Ketting. She's She's got a. She actually has a Menlo tree. Menlo is the guy who started that whole craze over the 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 sea hibiscus mm-hmm. and how they he he figured out how to like harness that energy, how fast they grow and make great trees in a short period of time. And uh, she gave me a cutting off of a tree that was related to that, um, so that I could. It was it's an air layer basically because you can cut an air layer of those trees really easy. And um, it's growing really well. And Dawn has demonstrated that I can use that species just by growing them in the hot summer and putting them in a greenhouse, protecting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that Mike mentioned is like, yeah, there gets to a point where even in Florida where it gets a little too cold and those trees just don't like cold. Yeah. Um, so if it gets like below 40, it visually struggles. I mean, the leaves kind of wilt a little bit. You get some spotting. Um, it becomes a little more successful, so you got to spray it a little bit more. But yeah, the sea hibiscus is, is a fun species. I can't wait to start growing mine out. I think once I figure that out, I won't be so jealous of that one anymore. Yeah. Um, the uh, the buttonwood is another one that we yeah. can definitely use. That one's a little bit more challenging because of it falls victim to uh, falls victim to spider mites real easy. And another another bug, I can't remember the exact. Uh, that's something I had to ask Doug about um, about the insecticide that we have to use but anyway yeah so buttonwoods are, are cool but there's getting away from getting away from the stuff that I can use I guess the other stuff we would we would be talking about is like uh, some of the more exotics exotic type stuff um, which I've seen some baobab trees. Mm-hmm. I think those would be really cool. Not very easy to source those, and they can import those uh, relatively easy where he's at. And I've seen some really cool ones down at the nursery, at, at uh, Weigert's Nursery down there. And uh, and then some ficus varieties. It's yeah. just that I don't have access to all those varieties. But I've seen some really cool ficuses that they've uh, – the ficus sacricaria is a really cool – you've got one mm-hmm. um, in your personal collection too. And I've got a small one just digging around with – and I wouldn't say I'm jealous because he gets to work with certain species. I can make it happen up here, and a lot of us could here. Uh, it's just that we'd have to have a really good greenhouse right. going on and a really good 
winter plan, uh, we could grow a lot of those trees. Um, and also, we'd have to go get them because growing those trees out in the stock, like they have them, that Minlo tree that I was told you about a second ago, that uh, that's from Taiwan. Mm-hmm. That tree came over here, imported, quarantined for two years, and finally went out in the market at Brussels. And Dawn got lucky and bought it, mm-hmm. uh, realized what it, what a great piece of material it was, and that tree's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to show you that tree later on. There's yeah. pictures of it. it. comes up every once in a while. But, yeah. Um, well, I'll have to talk, we're going to get Mike back soon up here. We'll have to talk to him again. I feel like we're in a sweet spot, though, weather-wise. Like, we're warm enough, but we're also cold enough, you know, for deciduous. Mm-hmm. You know, here in South Louisiana, I feel like it is a sweet spot. You know, is there any other? Oh, man, I think this is one of the best right. growing ranges in this part of the country. Yeah. And, like you said, the only downfall is we don't get – Ponderosa pine and one seed junipers and Rocky Mountain junipers and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I'm sorry. What was the? What were you saying? No, I just I feel like uh, you know we can say, man, I'm really jealous of other species, but uh, there's some really cool species that are native. I mean, that we can definitely. go out and collect. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, and I've I've kind of brought you to um, kind of brought you to the point of where. Not not brought like I didn't. I've kind of guided your 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 skills, and yeah. we'll have to talk about that a little bit. Uh, I've I know that you're capable of going and getting the trees that that are good, but uh, as far as the species and stuff, we've talked about what to look for, and we've yeah. we're starting to get to a different spot with this too. Because um, you were going for cypress trees initially, right? Was one of the was one of your first uh, things that you love to go get, and then right. we started talking about hawthorns, and we started talking about. American hornbeams and you know and there's a couple other things and I, like I've told you if you find something that has interest or you might be able to identify it in a way because um, we were I'm I, I hope we can get out and get those they're not button wood but they're called button bushes yeah um, and I'll have to drop into the the notes on this the exact name of that species or we might come back up with it later when I you know we have, might have a follow-up uh, talk about this where I got some we talk about how to design those trees but yeah there's species out there just waiting to be worked with here and uh, have you heard of anybody using those as bonsai? No I think they would be cool I, I'm pretty sure now I can't I can't ever speak for the backyard growers right. there are some backyard growers that have amazing collections right. that you just never would see some people are private about their their collections or they're just not vocal about it. What about what about that species? What about those trees? Because, I mean, they were definitely colony trees. They were everywhere, you yeah. know, in that in that area. You know, what about that species stood out to you when we saw them? Because uh, you were really excited when we came upon them. Well, I'm excited about those trees because when I typically see button bush, they, uh, and, I mean, it would be best for, for anyone listening is just go google buttonbush louisiana and when you see the trees you're going to be you're going to go like what why why would he even want to bother with that because it looks like a stringy mess they're uh they have a whorl growth habit which where they they just all grow out of the same section on grant on branches the branches are straight uninteresting um the the leaf is a little big honestly it's a lot bigger than a lot of people would even bother but there's a character to them that is very unique in the way that they're they can grow. 
their deciduous nature is very interesting to me. And then there's a flower and fruit yeah. that they make that is very gorgeous. It's like this spe- spherical ball of white flowers. Um, and it stays on for a long time. It sticks around and turns, it turns into this nice brown, uh, really interesting looking seed. And if you get a healthy one, you'll get a bunch of those on it. And um, it kind of makes me think of how you could look at it as a how people do poison sumac or Japanese sumac. Uh, that species is sometimes you'll see them growing on the side of the road. And you know what I'm talking about, sumac. Yeah. It goes really, really straight, uh, really tall normally. Our mimosa trees. Uh, is that the smaller ones that we had marked right off the highway as we got in that one location? The sumac? Yeah. yeah. Sumac's amazing. Uh, poison sumac course you want to be careful because <laughs> it's yeah. poisonous um but sumac's an amazing species for literati forms yeah. munjin forms or whatever you want to call them depends on what uh what school of teaching of that particular style you want to pr- approach it from but they make interesting shapes and forms of that but those button bushes they have this unique character from where they are at mm. in this little nature area that you found is a. Uh, it's a washout, so like it gets yeah. lots of water, and then it runs out, and it knocks those trees over with strong current. And then there's times when it's like low and dry, mm-hmm. not dry. It's sloppy still yeah. out there, sloppy uh-huh. as hell. But um, but then they grow strong again, and so they got these natural, twisted, crazy-looking mm-hmm. trunks on them, and some deadwood features. That I mean, we'll have to preserve them with wood hardener or whatnot, or something wood epoxy to keep them to, to make them last. They might be long lasting. They might be, you know, it might just be fun yeah. for, for something like that. Well, you mentioned Hagedorn's, you know, bonsai heresy and, mm-hmm. you know, debunking myths and, you know, doing things that people have yet to do. Um, I mean, it's, it's on the front line, cutting edge of messing with a species that, you know, doesn't have much exposure, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not going to, say it all that I'm I'm cutting no, edge well I mean, and just calling it very experimental I'm a good old southern right. boy that that's just right. wants to mess around with the trees he's seen his you know <laughs> on his range but uh yeah that it there has been I think you're you're more we're more getting into that realm of like um you're, you're saying how like there's a lot more exposure to bonsai in general uh so people are starting to think about it more in right. different ways well what could you know, pushing the boundaries of what species can be used. Yeah. You know? Um, and there's obvious species. Like, uh, with bald cypress, it's just like always... Bald cypress has always been that that species that that's the go-to because it's a deciduous conifer. It's a big, tall, graceful tree that is very easy to collect and is easy to work with. It's It responds to pruning and, and wiring very, very well, and it doesn't mind being root pruned and... And, and it has a lot of attributes. Gives you um, a lot of, you know, variation of different styles that you see in nature. Yeah, and you have a lot of, I mean, you could go fully classical or you can right. go very naturalistic. Right, um, and hollow so out, I mean. You can hollow, yeah, you can yeah. hollow those things all the way out and they'll still be alive. Right. Uh, and there's other species that have those capabilities. And, and really it is the cream of the crop for us. It is like, it is our species. They call it like North American's king of, of like deciduous bonsai mm. for a reason. But, um, but yeah, that, that, you know, besides the fact, but, uh, I think we'll, we'll kind of, I want to go with like a little bit more in the direction of like talking. I've, I've done a lot of the talking. I want to run people through cause, uh, I, I've talked about how you have this 
this uncanny skill of collecting great trees, but I want you kind of go through and talk about how you do it because there's a certain way that you go about it that I don't have the, I don't, I'm going to say it, I don't have like the balls to do it the way you do it. Um, so kind of walk us through a day in life, Nate Mary, Nate Mary going out looking for collectible trees. So I'm a classroom teacher as well at, in a high school. And uh, just yesterday I used the analogy of, you know, holding hands and, you know, the sweaty palms, you know, and, and the first time you hold hands, I mean, it, there's a lot of nerves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first time I went knocking on a door, you know, asking the random request, hey, look, gotten into bonsai, you know, you have these trees, you know, on your property, would you be okay and, and you know, possibly willing to let me, you know, collect these trees? And there's, there's a lot of you know, a lot of questions, um, you know, you know, so what are you doing again? And there's a lot bigger lessons that I think, not only for myself, where Bonsai teaches patients, um, but also I'm not going to be the, you know, assuming I'm able to keep the tree alive, I'm not going to be the last person to touch that tree, you know, and I would love to be able to pass that on to my children. um, And if not my children, you know, somebody else who can, can carry this tree's legacy on, but, um, you know, I think it's a part of interacting with people, being able to read people, um, you know, noticing the landscape, um, you know, in, in my, in my experiences, knowing, you know, where quality trees will grow, um, you know, as under, not necessarily understory trees to much larger cypress trees, um, but they, where they get a lot of sunlight but also in standing water. Um, you know, it's noticing things, you know, whether it be as you drive, um, but also using technology. I mean, using Google Earth, using, you know, you know, local websites where, you know, you can see where there's bodies of water, you know. Um, but I, worst that can happen, they can tell me no. I mean. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm, and that's what I'm like, you go up, and you just knock on the door and and it's a lot and for those who are not from this area going up and knocking on someone's door in like the backwoods kind of country kind of feel and i mean that's something that not a lot of people just do it can be completely casual you know southern hospitality or it could be completely like you're invading my space like (laughs) has anyone ever like pulled a gun no. Okay. Uh, let me find a piece of wood to knock on. I mean, uh, you know, I, I hope and you know, I probably need to go out of my way every time I go, you know, collect into a new spot to let my wife know exactly where I'm at. Yeah, kind of like a spot check. Like right. uh, I left here on this date. If right. I don't return in X amount of hours. Right. Um, I mean, so, and and you told me a story where you went to go talk to someone one day and they forgot that you had even. Yeah, so actually the tree that we just worked on, um, I collected that tree this time last year. And, uh, you know, it was an elderly lady that had given me access to a larger pond slash smaller lake. Um, You know, she had given me access the previous year. And, um, you know, I went back just to, you know, because a landscape can definitely change within a year. And... uh, you know, there was some quality material that came out of there. And uh, I just wanted to touch base with her again and say, hey, look, just want to remind you who I was, you know, 
you had given me access last year, and uh, she didn't want me to touch her trays this year. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, and and that very well, that could change next week. If <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it might not even be like we were saying, like it's the southern hospitality thing. Like, right. does it does it change from oh yeah, Sunny, come down and then pull all the trees you like out of the yard. Right. And, but then one day she might get like some kind of thought where it's like, uh, yeah, it's sentimental now. Don't. Right. Why are you doing this? Right. Like, go away, kind of. Well, but but it, I think a lot of it too. People can see why you do it. Like I, I don't, I don't collect trees. I don't, you know, I don't dig trees out of the earth just because I want, you know, whether it be a monetary gain or just to, to experiment. I mean, we're. We're taking calculated risk with when we collect, you know, specific trees that we're looking to collect. Um, so for all those listeners out there, if you see Nate knock on your door, know that he has good intentions. <laughs> He's not coming to just scoop your trees out and kill Without them. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> but, uh, but no, that, that's, I think, one of the best ways to put that, kind of the way you, how you do it. Because you're... you're you're a coach yeah. as well. So it's like your mentality is if it's going to happen, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. It's got, if you're going to do it, yeah. you're going to do it. And right. there's a lot of people who will sit on their words and not be action right. oriented people. Whereas I feel like that's just the proactive part of you. That's right. That makes it happen. Well, no, you know, I, and it, it's not a forceful, you know, there are times I've had to be persistent and maybe explain it from a different angle. Like what I'm, yeah, kind of be like a salesman about it right. a little bit, but but it's not manipulative. It, it's me, you know, trying to paint an accurate picture of what you know bonsai is, what what this art form is, and and I truly think more people need to see what you know Louisiana, you know, you know we can talk about beyond Cypress, but people need to see, you know. You can see and appreciate what the what these trees can do when you actually get them out of nature. Because a lot of people they don't they don't walk the woods. They don't walk these swampy areas like we have. They can't truly appreciate what we've seen. In in the in the in the acquired taste in the eye of of the bonsai practitioner of somebody who like now it's nothing against this. Like now these people walk their land. They walk. They see these things. Yeah. Um, but the way that we look at it is that we see it. We see a tree, and it's like, man, I can't wait to stump that tree and regrow it. And that kind of thing is kind of terrifying in, in its sense. But, um, but I think, like you're saying, like show them what it could be. And yeah. I get a lot of people come in to the nursery here, and they'll be like, "Wow, is that a bald cypress?" Yeah. And sometimes there's no question. Sometimes they walk up and say, "Look at that cypress." Yeah. And they say, they would say, did you find it like that? And then that's that, that's that, that's, that's the yeah. cue. You're like, well, actually. Yeah. And then you get to go into that. Um, and that's, and that's that realization that you're, you're talking about, I think is like, get them to that point where it's like, yeah, convince them that what you're doing is not malicious or that's personal right. gain. Um, it's not going to, you know, but sometimes Unfortunately, sometimes not every tree makes it or not every tree makes the cut being a really great tree. We see potential in all of our pieces, of course. Um, some trees just take longer to develop than others. But, yeah, you just have to get them to that point where it's like, um, this is what it is. This is what I've done. And this is why I do it. And then sometimes 
sometimes you one out of ten people come back and they want to do it yeah. themselves, which is the best part about it. Right. Um, so I tell you, it blows me away. My childhood dentist, who who is also a family friend. Oh yeah, that was a really unique story. It was. So. <laughs> You know, under, you know, COVID-type restrictions, I was here at the nursery, and, you know, a few people started showing up here in the in the small indoor facility, so I stepped out back, and, uh, you know, a, a fella walked out back and ended up being, um, you know, my dentist, who, lo and behold, never did I realize that he's been practicing for close to 30 years, you know? Yeah. And, uh you know, it's one, it's allowed us to reconnect a, a guy who I've probably hadn't seen for 20 years, if not longer. Um, but now, I mean, there's this deeper connection of, of appreciation for the aesthetic of, of bonsai, you know? And that's, that's, that's funny because like the, re- the reason why he was here that day that you were like, Oh crap, look, it's, it's, a uh, his name is uh, Chuck. Chuck. You're like, oh man, that's Chuck. I know that guy. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because Chuck was already had talked to me in the past and has already bought some some trees from us. And um, he had me come by his home and kind of go through his collection and kind of kind of uh, you know kind of tell him what's up, we'll give him the up and up, like what we could do to make his some of his trees uh, take it to the next level. Take his sure. trees next to, to the next level and stuff. And uh, he was like, yeah, I'm gonna come by and. Uh, he purchased this Japanese black pine from us mm-hmm. a little while back, and then I didn't know it was going to be a, as nice a tree as it was. When he brought it in, we started working on it. I said, Chuck, we need to do this and that. We put some wire on it. We bent some branches, and I stepped back, and I was like, man, that's that's a cool tree. And then, yeah, like you said, he, like uh, you showed up, and you had that enormous tree with you. Yeah. That you had collected a bald cypress that was, I think, how, it was like four feet across or something silly. I don't know. We'll have to post a picture of it. It was. Yeah. Next time you get a picture of that tree, let me know. Yeah. Um, we, we've got some pictures of, of when we repotted it. And, uh, you know, it was it was definitely an inst- a large, rather large, instant tree that had incredible, you know, buttressing and girth around, you know, the base. But also it had unbelievable taper already and yeah naturally occurring taper right um and that's something that uh that you see it anyone that's familiar with driving around back roads here will would will say yeah like i see trees like that all the time and you you drive down the road and you'll see people have little what used would probably used to be like cow pasture mm-hmm. land and they'll have like the soaking ponds this was like a like an old soaking pond and it had a couple of cypress trees in it right and this one tree, and they're all genetically different trees because a lot of these trees are grown from seed, and uh, they just you, people go down to the hardware store or the garden center, and they, you know, years ago would buy this tree, just mm-hmm. stick it in the pond, and hope that it turns into a shade tree. Yeah. Um, so they gets the shade off their cattle, and then this one, this particular tree, it just stayed dwarfed. I mean, it wasn't any taller than eight feet tall when you found it. Oh no, it it was. Uh... I don't think it was any taller than what we were standing to be like honest. standing in the water next to it. It was like uh, six. I, yeah, probably it, it would probably be about, be about eye height. It might be six, seven feet in height. And yeah, I just remember it being a little taller because you did. We did chop some of the stuff back on it. I remember it was kind of tall, but it wasn't. Yeah, now I think about it. Like when it was, it definitely was ground. horizontal. It wasn't a vertical growing. It was. 
you know. Yeah, it grew really wide. Yeah. And you'll see that every once in a while. And that's just kind of the, one of the things that you'll you'll drive by and like you'll see that and get that and you'll just have to yeah. knock on that door. <laughs> right. And uh, I that was one where, you know, I, there was multiple visits where you know, I had to to let them know my intent and um, you know that I wasn't going to you know, kill the tree. Um but that's definitely a tree that has a special place for me and, uh, you know, my family. And, you yeah, know, it's going to be the center of your yard. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, we, we named Chihoa, which is, it has a Native American, um, it's crazy horse, what he was born as, you know, and mm-hmm. it means amongst the trees or in the wilderness. Yeah. And uh, just has a special place. Um, like I say, we collected it. Um, you know, thankfully I had you there to help me move it out. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you probably could have gotten it. It's just that the fact that in order to like not shred the roots on yeah. that thing and just like get another person out there because it, when you get to trees that big, I mean, um, just to kind of put it in perspective, the tree, we were just saying it was big, probably four feet across from the base. Um, didn't get very tall, almost as wide as it is tall. And just that much wood, a bald cypress full of water because they suck up a lot of water, so they get really heavy. And then on top of that, you take those roots out and we are right on top of the water table here and the roots are just packed with that hard clay. Mm. And so it's just that Louisiana clay packed into a root system of an already heavy piece of wood and it's a full tree. And you got two guys out there one a little bit better off of lifting and moving things around because uh, you're a little bit more athletic than I am. It, it but, was just so cumbersome. But, I mean, it, but it is yeah, awkward. You need to right. put two, a couple of heads together to get that thing moving right. around. Um, and I was look, and I told you this. I if I had not been able to back my truck up next to that pond, oh, it wouldn't. Just it probably a, wouldn't have happened. There was there <laughs> was, there wasn't a tree within 60, 70 feet, if not like. To put tension on the tree so I could get up underneath, um, you know, I'm I'm shoulder length up underneath the, you know, to cut the taproot. Yeah. You know. And the roots were, I mean, there was no taproot on that tree that was monstrous. Right. I mean, the roots, when you got that tree up, I mean, a lot of the root ball was centrally located on that yeah. tree. I'm really excited to see, you know, its response. We dug it right around Christmas and, uh, you know, next couple months it'll be a telltale sign of how it bounces back i think it'll be pretty successful because um, you accidentally over pot it yeah because um, we we were taking measurements and i don't know where we went wrong but you ended up overshooting what like three extra feet on the pot it was like really long i remember yeah so i don't recall the exact measurements but it was uh there's definitely more room for it to grow you know Laterally. Laterally, yeah, versus front to back. And and this tree, again, radially 360 was Oh, yeah, it's you know, gorgeous all the way around. Right. Um, and we're, we're probably going to have people like listening and being like, oh, man, this tree sounds like a dream, and we don't have any way to... Yeah. Like, we'll have to we'll have to do a follow-up. I'll have to come visit your yard, and we'll have yeah. to look at it and do a post on it. Yeah. Um, but I think something that a lot of people listening about Louisiana Collections would be kind of kind of like 
I think is in the back of their minds is like when you're when you're collecting out of people's yards, mm-hmm. do you ever collect out of the swamps? Um, oh, without a doubt. And, and uh, there's a difference though in I feel the 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 character of you know typically the character is going to come from bigger trees, mm-hmm. you know, and and that creates a bigger child that creates bigger you know longer you know of a recovery and and for that wound to heal over um but ponds i mean for whatever reason uh ponds tend to produce smaller trees that have character yeah um or for at least what i've experienced but i i definitely you know there is uh this has been my first year to actually scout and there is there is uh, definite dangers when you go and scout so, and doing it over the summer. Um, and I would, I would obviously recommend to go scout because as a collector, you don't want to go and just grab any tree, the first By tree. Right. Um, so, you know, that's a part of the danger of going to scout and marking trees. You know, there's been trees that I've marked that when I go and uh, go to actually collect, you know, seeing them for a second, third time, you know, I, I don't pull the trigger in collecting that tree. Um, whether it be just my eye changes and, you know. Oh, you've just seen dozens of other great trees right. that season. Right. Um, and there's always time for, we. and I've gone out there with you for a few of the collecting spots and been like, this is a great tree, mm-hmm. but give it another two years yeah. because they grow so fast. Um, and you can clear around that tree and give it more light but yeah. just give it a little bit longer. That tree could be real nice. Right. Um, but also the extraction of, of these trees. I mean, it it can be. It, it could be a matter of a couple of minutes or it could be a matter of like an hour. Right. Minutes. I mean, depending on, you know, whether it be soft, you know, muddy ground and, and just a water extraction. I mean, it or being able to literally... It doesn't touch grass. It touches, like we say, that large one just touched from the water straight to my trailer. Yeah, and it, it never it never really got to that point where it was a water or inland situation for that tree. Right, I mean, it was always tucked in. And um, for for those who haven't collected a bald cypress and have witnessed what we've been kind of harping on this whole time about collecting. Uh, them in standing water is whenever the water is up on them all the time that makes those those fibrous finer roots that we really want when we collect it makes it makes the tree just doesn't have to travel very far for water so those roots are already there right next to the base and so when we pull those trees up and it's it's almost like a 90% chance that we're always gonna pull up right. a really nice lush base of roots and uh, a lot of people We'll, we'll kind of beg to differ like how much of that roots how much of those roots do you keep on are they because there's sometimes aquatic roots that will just kind of fall away and the more inland ready roots will come out because aquatic roots on bald cypresses are a little bit different than mm-hmm. the ones that just grow on the roots that grow inland in a little bit more little drier areas um, so I've seen a lot of people scalp those root systems to the base. Yeah, as we've repotted, I mean, we're putting these things into small containers and the more dense the root, you know, system. Right. Um, And that's something that eventually over time we can take advantage of for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and you, you can refer back to like videos of me 
repotting a tree or, or dealing with the, a collected tree, see how I just, I go in there and I cut underneath that tree nice and deep right. just to reset the whole system so it can get roots in there, get thick, coarse roots out. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we, that's why we collect them in that standing water like that. Well, I'm down. Um, but I mean, when you, when you said you go collecting in the summertime, is there any fear of like, uh, cause I remember one time I went with you, you had a, a small <laughs> handgun. Um, and I had well, to, I had to reassure you during the winter that those things are not that big of an issue. Yeah. Well, um, I think I had a, a homemade, <laughs> had a homemade, uh, javelin or homemade spear probably along with a, a handgun because the previous time i i swear to you i had seen the largest cotton mouth i think i'd ever seen um that had no fear of me oh yeah they don't care about so people. you know i for whatever reason i'm i'm more frightful of snakes than i am alligators um you know and that i don't know there, there's a couple trees that you and i have marked uh, that are like extremely close to <laughs> the body of water that an alligator, a 10, 12 foot alligator could come in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Easily take us. Yeah. They, well, I have not personally, and I mean, I've been out, I've trudged, I've trudged the swamps and woodlands and stuff for quite some time now. Um, and when I go out looking for trees, the scariest thing that's happened to me is pulled a tree up out of the water mm-hmm. and it had a hollow in it. And I'm like, man, this is this is a cool hollow. And I go to look in it and a water moccasin jumps out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, something like that's happened. Or like, or you'll get like a brown recluse or one of those big ugly banana spider things pop yep. out and crawl around on you. Um, bites from the banana spiders are not very bad, but you know you don't want to get bitten by something else like brown recluse or black widows which are very common down here for us unfortunately as well um but alligators though i've never had now i've i've gone kayaking recently with uh with kate my fiance and been like uh down in the shallows of like uh bayou cane Mm -hmm. uh over here right next to covington and saw a 12 foot alligator in the water sunbathing it's like sunbathing i was just like oh no like i can't deal with that but for, for some reason I've never I've never been out like trudging around like right. in waders or in high boots and just like look and just saw a gator somewhere. Right. Um, I guess it's just like you said like there needs to be a piece of wood nearby and not going for this next, these next coming seasons. Right. Because now I'm gonna run into a gator next time we go out. Well, but there there is that that chance that that could happen and that's a risk that you take. Um, you know, and our significant others will probably dissuade us from wanting to get back in the water to do that but just because they want us around for you know for another year um but i mean that that that's a part of i don't know that's a part of being from louisiana where um i mean you become a part of the swamp when you're out there i mean it's it you know um are there dangers you know for sure but you know it's it's kind of a part of you understand that yeah, culturally it sets us apart too. With that is fear of gators, fear of snakes, fear of, I mean, fear of drowning. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's unless we, 
I don't know if I've ever been scared of drowning here unless like we're in the middle of the Lake Marpol or Lake Pontchartrain yeah. or like maybe the current is a little rough on one of the rivers one day because uh, our we, I mean our water doesn't get very deep but I think like that's one of the things is like would we would you rather be stuck in a situation with an animal like that or would you rather be like collecting in the mountains and have like your some of the guys go up and they yeah. collect and they get climbing gear yeah. imagine just falling off the side of a, of a rock right. face with a really, like, you had this juniper that you couldn't pass up. Um, you know, so, days, you know, days on the mountain. Yeah, out, out actually, like, backpack. And then, you know, and it's like, man, we think about those things, and it's like, that sounds so cool, but it's like, I'm willing to bet that it's a different thing that we can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. But some of those guys, um, I've heard about some of the guys that collect up in, I think they're in Montana. I could be very wrong about that, too. Uh, but they, they talk about, having all these experiences from even from like really early on just like childhood just mm. exploring the mountains right. as a child and like that's kind of how i feel like it is with the swamps around here is like i've trudged around in the swamps since i was you know a baby not not infant level but young enough to like where if if i go out in the woods i mean it's just something that we you know yep. growing up that's what we do and so i guess it's just a little bit of that kind of like that whenever like a, a a football team plays home, plays at home. It's like it's their, it's their home grounds. They're stomping. Yeah. It's a home. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's our home field advantage of, of understanding that. So I'm sure if it was the other way around, it was like in the mountains. Collecting yeah. the mountains would be, like we would laugh at the people, like they, people come down here and we're walking around in the woods. I got a friend from Ohio and he's like walking around in the woods with me. And he's like, what if we see an alligator? And I'm like. Yeah. then it's going to get you. You better run. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like just messing with people. It's just, you know, it's just kind of things. I could lie and make up a really cool story that that's how I, you know, that's how, you know, the first date I took Savannah out and we collected and I was like, look, there's a gator that might get you. You need to stay close to him. You know, I could lie and, you know, make up a, a really interesting story like that. But that might be time for a, another podcast or whatever but no i mean we could always just paint this image of you of like if people don't ever look you up or anything and just be like nate murray's he walks around and, and waiters and like this ridiculous straw hat and he's got a spear long like a seven foot spear for gators right and he's he's always he's always just trudging around we had to like if I ever need to go find Nate, I have to go stand at the edge of the wood line and just like whistle, and he's like emerges. Don't like, forget my pruning saw. Yeah, yeah, with the with pruning saw on hand and like yeah. like the the ghillie outfit, like you have right. all like the grasses and stuff. That that's what he looks like. If you guys are interested, um, he is a family man, but he's normally that's that's his attire every day. He goes to school like that too. Right. Teaches borderline <laughs> dehydrated, you know, swamp managed, you know. Yeah. No. Uh, but it, yeah. In all in all honesty, uh, I mean, we could make some really dramatic stories about that. Right. But uh, but no, it's. It re- I, it, I'll tell you though, Evan. It really is beautiful to see. You know, in this is year two or season two from collecting these trees, and it's beautiful to see these trees uh, at the beginning stages of. Some of the things that you've done with them—it really is beautiful. Oh yeah, and I can't wait to—I uh, can't wait to move that forward. Like, uh, I have a couple of projects underway. This—this this being one of the projects that finally—I mean, I've talked for years about getting this off the ground. So mm-hmm. let's uh, let's see how this goes. I mean, it, it seems pretty fine. Yeah. Uh, we'll have we'll have you on as a you know regular like as you 
go through your boneside journey and you've already got an upper hand as far as the collecting thing goes. You've got a good eye for that. It's kind of like, kind of just always, you already kind of had that deep down inside. So, I mean, obviously now we can kind of watch how you collect and how yeah. we work together to make those, those trees nice. And then, uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll kind of, We'll, make a habit of it for sure Get yeah together. yeah and uh we'll try to we'll try to get some people on here that uh that kind of come through i mean being at the nursery and then also uh being part of the bonsai club in new orleans and in baton rouge we get to see a lot of guest artists come through so yeah there could be some ex- you know some some content for that too so we'll see where this goes man but uh right. i think as far as getting people into it and letting them know like who you are uh, it's mo- it more like more or less talking about that, but uh, I'll come back and kind of recap about me later in a, yeah. in a later uh, episode. But I think it's a good little start. So, Enjoy, bro. yeah, man, thanks for coming to hang out. Uh-huh.